You're listening to Sourced with Stu Finer. with the third installment of my podcast, Sourced, with your source, Stu Fighter. And obviously, you know my motto, eat ass, lick clit, and fuck like Stu Finer. And again, you know my second motto, which is, I'm Stu Finer, and you're fucking not. Now, podcast one discussed the reality of life, If you've not listened to podcast one, you owe it to yourself. Pretty much, it should be taught probably in second grade to every person on this earth. Because it would save embarrassment, shame, time, energy, money. And really, it would educate the world. It is more important than the Bible more important than the Constitution, and really, truth be told, and I'm not exaggerating it, a fucking must for anybody that has a pulse and is breathing. Because it talks about the reality of gambling, and since it's the only thing I've ever done since 1978, I am an absolute definitive word and expert on gambling, specifically sports gambling. Podcast two discussed the only time I ever got arrested, handcuffs on me, in the fucking cop car, driven to the cop station, and fingerprinted at the hands of our President Donald Trump. Which brings us to today, Podcast 3. Now, first of all, thank you for joining me. First of all, I know for a fact that 99% of the podcasts out there make you stupider once you listen to them. Are a total waste of your fucking time, energy, money. People try to be informative, people try to be smart, people try to be funny, and they're anything but. They're boring, they're incompetent, they're fucking morons. So, thank you for at least giving me a shot after you've been disappointed, disillusioned, unentertained by the clueless fucks out there that think they got something to say. Because most of them have nothing to fucking say, as you know. As most people know. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. So everybody's got a fucking podcast. Everybody's a fucking asshole. Now, I have an asshole, and I am an asshole too, but fuck! I'm Stu Viner, and no one is fucking me! So I give you a reality check on life that no one can, because no one's lived my life my roller coaster life of blowing a $70 million empire, of obtaining a $70 million empire from scratch, from nothing, from my balls and my determination, and from surviving being on the balls of my ass for over 20 years. 
and also from creating an industry, which is the sports betting industry. I created the sports advisory industry. Like I said, hundreds of millions of dollars a year are still written because of the people that I taught to be in this business. Now, they've taken it to a second level, like I said in my first podcast. They're looking to rob you, cheat you, fuck you over, scam you, sell you a bill of dreams. Because people want to believe what people are saying. You want to believe what people are saying, especially when it comes to winning gambling. Because you've never won on your own, and no one else has either. So you have some jerk-off professing, he's got the clue to life, he's got the golden Alexa, he's got the kings of the kingdom, where he's got dick, cock, he's scum, should be shot, should be put in jail. So that's podcast one. Podcast two again, Donald Trump arresting your source, Stu Finer, putting handcuffs on me. Brings us to podcast three. We're going to do it in a couple of ways here. Number one, I'm giving you another of my epic Donald Trump stories. And I'll weigh in like every jerk off in the world on what I think is going to happen with Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor today, tonight in Las Vegas, Nevada. The biggest fucking farce and joke ever, even worse than Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali. Because at least Antonio Inoki was allowed to kick Muhammad Ali. Conor McGregor cannot kick. He's going to humiliate himself, embarrass himself trying to be a boxer, which he's not. Trying to box the best ever, which he won't. And he probably is going to get knocked out extremely early. And it'll be an absolute waste of everybody's fucking time. A circus. But Floyd Money Mayweather will make 200 mil. Conor McGregor, which hasn't really made any money up to this point, is going to score out and make $100 million. Now, how much Dana White's taking and how much his manager's taking, I have no fucking idea. But Connor's end and Team Connor's camp will make $100 million, And Floyd will make more money than he's ever made in his life, a couple hundred million, possibly putting him into the billion-dollar range. But let's get back to Donald Trump. Let's get back to my epic story of Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump opened the Trump Plaza, and then he opened the Trump Castle, and then he opened the biggest casino in the world, the Trump Taj Mahal. Now, the Trump Taj Mahal was the biggest and the best. And if you missed my podcast on one and two, let me recap. My four idols when I grew up, Howard Hughes, billionaire, underline it. J. Paul Getty, billionaire, underline it. The only two billionaires in the 70s, in the early 70s, in the world. Keith Moon, the epic drummer for the greatest rock and roll band in the world ever, The Who. Yes, better than Zeppelin. Yes, better than the Rolling Stones. Which are the only two other rock and roll bands that could lay claim to the greatest rock and roll band ever. It's either The Who or The Stones or Led Zeppelin. And I profess it's The Fucking Who. I profess the greatest album ever written, concept album by Peter Townsend, is Quadrophenia. Number one, the greatest album ever, Quadrophenia. If you've not listened to Quadrophenia, 
Please stop listening to this podcast. Get in front of a train and fucking kill yourself because you have not lived. Because it is the single greatest rock and roll album ever. It is the single greatest album ever. It is the greatest work I've ever heard in my life written by Peter Townsend. And it's fucking amazing. It's done with so much passion and so much energy and so much love against the establishment. Rebel. Do your own thing. Don't ever believe the government. Don't ever believe anybody. Believe yourself. And that pretty much is what Quadrophenia stands for. Now, the drummer Keith Moon of The Who was my fucking idol. So you have Howard Hughes, J. Paul Getty, Keith Moon, and number four, our president of the United States, Donald fucking Trump. Because Donald, again, was God. He was Jesus. He was Moses. He was Allah. He was a movie star. He was you, Hefner, all wrapped in one. And extremely accessible. And extremely quotable. And you could see him and shake his hand and hug it out anytime at any of his three casinos. Now, by the time he built the Taj Mahal... He was already bleeding at the seams with money because it pretty much is impossible to own three casinos at the same time, plus rape the casinos for all their fucking money out of it so he could run his construction business and his playboy lifestyle. And that's why Donald Trump is my idol. Not only did he run one of the biggest construction businesses in the world, a conglomerate, buildings, Everywhere. Shopping malls everywhere. Golf courses everywhere. His father started and Donald Trump ran with it. And I said on podcast one and podcast two that Donald Trump is the smartest man I've ever seen in my life. The quickest thinker on his feet. The most confident I've ever seen anybody in my entire fucking life. And he got more women than I've ever seen ever. Now, I did not see... Will Chamberlain, who fucked 10,000 women. I did not see other superstar playboys like Frank Sinatra, like Dean Martin, that slayed thousands and thousands of women, that fucked thousands of women. Did not see it. But I saw Donald Trump. I saw him action from the 70s into the 80s into the 90s. Built three casinos with his name on it. Ran the casinos. Was the front and center man for the casinos. And for that matter, was the pulse of these casinos. And I loved the Trump Plaza. I loved the Trump Castle. And I fucking loved the Trump Taj Mahal. The biggest and the best. Everything was bigger. Everything was better. The rooms were bigger than any Nevada casino. The rooms were bigger than any casino in the world. There were more slot machines, more tables, more square footage, more restaurants, more everything. And what the other casinos did not have is Donald Trump walking the motherfucking floor. So when the Taj Mahal opened in 1990, like I just said, he was already bleeding at the seams. 
because he was supposed to build these three casinos and take care of Atlantic City and give all the people in Atlantic City jobs and revitalize that area. Instead, he built the casinos and took all the money out of it and used it for his playground, used it for his lifestyle, used it for others' businesses, used it for whatever the fuck he wanted. And that's what he did. So he pretty much ran the casinos into the ground, and he also found out how hard it is to make money running casinos. That if it's not your only job, your sole job, you're fucked, you're buried, you're destroyed. You could lose hundreds of millions and billions quite quickly. Which is the reason that at about this time that he opened the Taj Mahal, it almost went in bankruptcy the moment it was opened. Pretty much. Because the plaza and the castles were failing, and the Taj Mahal, he barely was able to build because it was cost billions of dollars when billions of dollars really meant a lot. Not anymore. But then, billions of dollars was fucking billions of dollars. So, the Taj Mahal is where I lost my most money. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, in 1992, Taj Mahal opened in 90. 92, Atlantic City went 24-hour gambling. Otherwise, before then, 4 a.m. shut everything down. So in 1992, let me just give you a little background of where I was. I was God. I was rolling in the money. I was making a million three a year. I was printing the cash. I was going to every play in New York City on Broadway, first row. And I saw Phantom 16 times, Les Mis 16 times, Miss Saigon 10 times, Cats 10 times. I went to La Tess, La Perigord, La Bernadette. I went to every motherfucking restaurant in the world. Le Cirque, which was the hardest restaurant in the world to get into in the early 90s. I walk in, I give Michelle the maitre d', 500 to 2,000. I had two fucking tables. One for my group and one for my fucking desserts. Because French food, the portions are small. They're very rich, the food. It's done with a tremendous amount of pomp and circumstance. They take pride in the presentation. They take pride in the sauces. They take pride how the plate comes out, how the plate's prepared. Every single inch of the plate, where the potato is, where the vegetable is, where the sauce is, is taken into consideration and done perfectly. And Le Cirque at the time was arguably rated the best restaurant in the world. So every motherfucker, every star, every player on any sport, anybody that rolled into New York went to Le Cirque. And I was able to own that fucking restaurant. And I was able to walk in, not in a suit and tie, which I did most of the time. I could get in in fucking dungarees and a tank top where everybody would look at me and go, oh, and Michelle would give me a jacket or two that he had waiting for me because he knew I walked in like a motherfucking slob most of the time, especially in the 90s. So when I was rolling in the money, making millions of dollars, building my empire, I had the number one TV show in the world for sports gambling called 
the sports advisors. Yes, the same TV show that Jim Robinson of Morgan Creek Production that produced the movie Two for the Money, that Al Pacino played me, Renee Russo played my wife, Matthew McConaughey played a disgruntled employee that worked for me, Jeremy Piven played my brother-in-law, Amanda Sante played a disgruntled customer, and Al Pacino, Matthew McConaughey, and Jeremy Piven were all my sports advisors TV show in the movie, In Two for the Money. Jim Robinson asked Stu, can we use the sports advisors in the movie? I said, yes. And Al played me. And Renee played my wife. And Matthew played a disgruntled employee that worked for me. And that's how the movie basically was written. A disgruntled employee that worked for me, Stu Finer. Walter Abrams was my character in that movie. So the Sports Advisors TV show at the time that I created in 1991 was flowing in 92. $125,000 budget a week. I was on every sports channel that they had in the country. Every fucking one. Chicago, Cleveland, Philly, New York, Florida. California was covered by Prime Ticket and I own Prime Ticket. I was on every Thursday night, every Friday night, every Saturday morning, every Sunday morning. I was a national household name. Everybody in the motherfucking world watched Stu Finer because I was creative. I was insane. I was the crazy Eddie of the sports handicapping world. And I was a must watch. And I was in my fucking prime. I was 29, 30, 31, 32 years old. And I was a ball of energy. And whether you gambled or not, I had to be seen because I was fucking psycho because you never know what I was going to say. You never knew how I was going to say it. And you just fucking loved me. And a lot of people made their bones watching me. And a lot of people created their balls and their energy off of me. A lot of fucking people. A lot of fucking people. Now, they might not brag about it now, but they fucking did watch me then. And I made people. And I'm talking the biggest actors and actresses in the world. The biggest movie stars in the world. Everybody that was a CEO in the country watched fucking Stu Finer. Every major player watched fucking Stu Finer. From Michael Jordan on. Everybody watched me. Everybody loved me. Everybody got a kick out of me. Because I was must CTV, I was entertaining, I was unplugged, I was a psycho. The confidence flew through my body into your fucking TV, through your fucking body, and you were shaking. And you were like, this guy's fucking crazy. This guy's funny. This guy's psycho. Now, whether you said this guy's full of shit or not, and most people that had a half a brain knew I was full of shit, because I was professing to never lose. And I was professing to never lose, can't lose, lock of the year, ain't no, ain't no, ain't no, absolutely free, absolutely free, absolutely free. So when you called my office and I had 175 operators answering the phones because 175 simultaneous phone calls came into my office because I had a T3 when no one had a T3. You know what a T3 is? It's 28 T1s. You know what 28 T1s mean? That I had 24 times 28. 
So I had almost 600 lines that you could answer at fucking once going, Stu Finer, give me a name and number, I'll call you back. Stu Finer, give me a name and number, I'll call you back. Stu Finer, give me a name and number, I'll call you back. Because I was screaming and yelling, absolutely free, I'm giving you my game of the year. Absolutely free, I'm going 8-0, 10-0, and 5-0, 4-0, NFL, college football, NBA basketball, college basketball. And I'm screaming at the fucking speed of light. And I'm flying. And I'm yelling. And I'm fucking raking in the money. Because there was nobody like me. I had zero competition. I created the industry. I had millions of dollars to spend on TV. And I was a TV personality. And I had the balls of stone. And I was fearless. So that was pretty much 1990, 91, 92, 93, 94. My empire didn't start bleeding at the seams until Rupert Murdoch, Fox TV, Channel 5 at the time, the owner of the Post, stole the NFL TV rights from CBS. Problem was, Rupert Murdoch did not have anywhere to show his sports that he just bought from the NFL because he didn't have any sports channels. So Rupert Murdoch in 1993 started buying every fucking sports channel in the nation and in essence cut my ability to show my show to 80% of the country. He bought all the sports channels. He bought Prime Ticket. He bought them. In a moment, he bought them. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself because now we're going to talk about 1990. Three-ish. And in 1993, the Donald married Marla Maples, his second wife. His marriage with Ivana lasted 15 years, 77 through 92. Minute he divorced Ivana, he married Marla. And for my money, in person, Marla Maples was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Blonde hair, blue eyes. She was on Broadway at the time. Limited talent. This amazing, squeaky, sexy voice. But a fucking ass that was an 11. Eyes that were a 12. Hair that was a 13 and a motherfucking box that she was the camel toe box before there was a camel toe box. She wore clothes so fucking tight they were painted on this fucking woman. And when I saw her with Donald in person at the Taj Mahal, my knees buckled. They fucking buckled. My mouth stayed open. I froze exactly where I was. And she smelt so good. She wore perfume that you could smell her 50 fucking yards away. Because she was a motherfucking movie star. To me, she was Marilyn motherfucking Monroe. She was that fucking gorgeous. Now, to other people, she was not. Other people rated her a seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. I rated her a 500. I rated her a motherfucking goddess. I rated her Athena. I would kill 20 people to smell her pussy. To lick her clit, I would kill a country. To eat her ass, I would blow up a continent. 
to fuck her. I would sacrifice my entire family and my lineage just to fuck her once, to put my cock in her fucking pussy to come. And then I would swallow the cum out of her pussy and put it in her mouth and pray to God. She said, Stu Funny, you're an amazing lay. Because Marla Maples did it for me. And to this moment, no one has ever broke me down like her. No, I don't know why. She had big tits, and I'm not a tit guy. If you know my rating on Snapchat, if you watch me on Snapchat, you know I'm the funniest fuck ever, but my rating on Snapchat is, number one is the eyes. And she had the best eyes that God ever put in anybody's fucking eye sockets. Number two is the hair. And her hair was golden. It was golden. It was just like, I just loved her hair. I loved it. Number three is the ass. And she had a fucking ass that could stop time. That could stop a fucking clock. That could stop a fucking airplane. That could stop speed fucking racer. That could stop Kimba the White Lion. That could stop Usain Bolt in his fucking tracks. That could stop Michael Phelps in a fucking race for the gold medal. Because she was the cat's meow. She was it for me. Marla fucking Maples. And of course, the greatest bachelor ever, my idol, Donald Trump, dated her, nailed her, fucked her, and ended up marrying her. So, in my eyes, he became God, and she was goddess. And he used to carry around with her at the Taj Mahal. He showed her off. Because, you know, Donald, like I spoke about in podcast two, and it's a must listen if you want to laugh. Podcast one is a must learning experience that if you're on this planet, you have to learn. Podcast two is funnier than fuck and a must listen just to laugh. And I said on podcast two that Donald Trump fucked, I'm guessing, 3,000 women. I'm going over the total. But Marla Maples was his greatest catch because holy fuck. So think about a woman or a man, because I'm sure men and women are listening to this, that just do it for you, that just buckle your knees, that if they said jump, you didn't say how high, you jumped already to the fucking sky. You were in the clouds before they said it. You would do anything. You'd kill your mother. You'd rape your father. You'd fucking do anything. Embarrass yourself. Humiliate yourself. There's no bounds you would go to for this individual. And for me, that was Marla Maples. Unquestionably. So when Donald started dating her, because Ivana was on the rocks fucking for five years. We knew he was fucking around everything that walked Probably did it the entire marriage. But anyway, I knew at the end of the marriage he was doing it because I saw it. And he flaunted it at the casino. Because A, it was good for business. B, it was good for business. And C, it was good for business. Because Donald Trump is all about fucking business. Make no mistake about it. The greatest businessman of our lifetime. Now, 
He's gone bankrupt and come out of bankruptcy at least 30 times. He's crashed and burned and somehow has more lives than any man alive. And now he's the president of fucking the United States, mind you. His record is not impeccable and it's not perfect. But for me, he's the greatest fucking businessman ever. He's so smart, so quick. You give him a deal, he'll make a better deal. If he wants something built, he shops it the best. He'll cut every corner legally possible. He'll smash every law legally written. He'll get around every fucking loophole and then he'll create loopholes upon loopholes upon loopholes. He's untouchable. He's bulletproof. He's legitimately bulletproof because he's that fucking smart. So people look at him like a bigot, a buffoon, a moron. And you could think that, but you would underestimate the greatest businessman that ever fucking lived. So now when he became president and he, has, and he, was, and he was full disclosure, he hasn't paid taxes in 20 motherfucking years. He did it legally because trust me, he has so many enemies. Trust me. People are so jealous of Donald Trump that if they could have got him and could have put him in jail, he'd be in jail right now forever. Forever. He's never even got charged. He's beat every rap that's ever been put on him. Because that motherfucker is smart. And that motherfucker's my idol. And that motherfucker rocks. And that motherfucker has fucked as many women as you fucking Hefner. Because although he did not own the Playboy Mansion... The Trump Plaza, the Trump Castle, and the Taj Mahal especially was his motherfucking Playboy Mansion. The biggest casino in the world. The most glamorous casino in the world. The biggest play toy in the world. And Donald Trump walked around with his swagging cock smacking people in the face. So when he started dating Don Marla Maples, I was so up his ass at the Trump Taj Mahal. Now, the Trump Taj Mahal was just fucking gorgeous. And it was the first casino to create something quite clever. It had a restaurant called Scheherazade. And it was on the actual floor, actually connected, that you could walk simply anywhere on the high roller floor where you had your Baccarat pit, you had your roulette pit. You had the dice tables. You had your blackjack. And from there, you could literally get up, walk right into the Scheherazade. And it was not big. And it was extremely exclusive. And I'd say on the scale of 1 to 10, the food was an 11. Because everything was fucking amazing. And if you were a high roller like me, and if you were a sucker like me, and if you lost hundreds of thousands like me, you could walk in there, order six bottles of Krug, six bottles of Dom Perignon, six bottles of Cristal, soup to nuts you were eating, the bread was amazing, the champagne was amazing, the appetizers were amazing, the main course was amazing, the desserts were amazing. The after-dinner drinks were amazing. The cigars were amazing. Everything was an 11. 
12, 13, forget about a 10. And everything was free. Because you were a sucker. You were getting fucking hammered. You were losing your ball sack. And Donald gave away rooms, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 square foot rooms with elevators in them, with butlers, with maids, with everything you could think of for free, food for free. And the Scheherazade room, the hotel allowed you, if you were the biggest sucker there, and I was one of the biggest suckers, especially in the 90s, you had access to that room. And when you brought your friends to that room, they never forgot it for the rest of their fucking lives. Because that was literally a once-in-a-lifetime experience. No two ways about it. And I was going there three times a week. Because now that gambling was 24-7, where we used to have to get there before 4 a.m. because we worked every day, I was able to roll in at 5 a.m., gamble until 9, come home. I could roll in at 3 a.m., gamble until 6, and come home before work. So we were there three, four times a week. And we were getting fucking hammered. Well, when I say we, I was getting hammered. So I would go there with a buddy, two buddies, five buddies, ten buddies. I'd roll in with 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000. Give each of my friends 500 to 3,000. Let them gamble. Let them fuck around. And I would get murdered. And I didn't even give a fuck. Because I was printing the fucking money. I was spending it. I was printing it. And I didn't really give a fuck. And at the time, I had two, ch two children. My oldest, was, my oldest was born in 88. And he was, I think, four. My second was born in 91. He was around two. And there was nothing stopping me. There just was nothing stopping me. Had the number one TV show in the country. I was on every sports channel. I was a household name. I was revered by people in my industry. I was hated by people in my industry because they were so fucking jealous that I was so fucking big and I was making so fucking much money. And I had a fleet of limos and a fleet of Mercedes, fleet of Jaguars. And I was just scary, scary. Every new that car that came out, whether it was a Jaguar, Mercedes, Lexus, I had it on the block. I was the first person to have it. Brand new with every motherfucking gadget in it. There was nothing I didn't have. Nothing, nothing, nothing. There's nothing I didn't do. So when I got my teeth kicked in at the Taj Mahal, I didn't give a fuck because I was with my idol, Donald Trump, and I was trying to breathe the air and smell the goddess, which was his second wife, Marla Maples. So on a specific night that I'm going to talk about now it was a night where I was just getting absolutely obliterated and I stopped smoking pot three months into my wife being pregnant with my first child uh, got married in 88 spent 75000 at the time on a wedding, 325 people March 12, 1988 Sands of Atlantic Beach in Atlantic Beach, Long Island and it was the most epic wedding you ever saw in your life. And then I spent 50000 on the honeymoon. 
which was insane amount of money at that time. People didn't make 125000 in their lifetime. I just blew 75000 on a wedding, 50000 on a honeymoon. They didn't make 125000 in their fucking lifetime. They didn't. I blew it in fucking 88 in less than a month. So I was just untouchable. There was nothing I couldn't do. So I started gambling, started getting fucking killed. I did not smoke pot though, because when my son, when my wife was pregnant, we came back from Italy. We said, wow, let's not have kids for a little while here. Let's just party. And we were going to go all over the world. P.S. She got pregnant on the honeymoon in Italy. And three months into the pregnancy, she said, I would rather you not be stoned for our children. She wasn't really a big pot smoker. In the 70s, she was, but not in the 80s because used to make her fall asleep. And when I used to smoke pot, I got psycho. I'd smoke an ounce with buddies and we'd be in some state in the country, going to some stupid restaurant, going to some stupid game, going to some stupid event that I read in a newspaper. I saw an article on TV that this is a once a lifetime event and I was fucking there. It didn't matter if it was the Grand Canyon, Yellowstone National Park, see Big Ben, whatever the fuck it was. Some stupid sporting event. I was there. I was there that night and we just hung out. And when I smoked pot, these things happened on a daily basis. So she said to me, Stu, can you put down the pot? I said, yes. So I put down the pot from 1988 until 1995. So at this time, at least from drugs, I'm stone cold sober. But my gambling addiction is out of control. It's so raging. It's beyond raging. It's incredible. So I'm betting on sports, holding my own, meaning I'm losing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because I couldn't bet enough and I couldn't win. Like if I won eight in a row, the all the money that I won the last eight games were on the ninth, which of course lost. And then I lost eight in a row and I was fucking hammered. And casinos, I was betting table limit every fucking time where the head of the casino, the minute I walked in, he had his three sharpest guys right up my fucking ass. They watched every move I made because if I got hot, I could fucking hammer you, destroy you, but I really did get hot. Normally, I just got fucking crushed. But no matter how much money was on the table, especially dice and baccarat and roulette, I was pressing. So eventually I was going to lose because my money was never coming off the table because the rush of how much money I had on the table was really all I was looking for. I wasn't looking really to win. I was looking for that rush. I was looking for that insane rush. I was looking for all my buddies to, to say, wow, Stu, you had 300,000 on the table. You built it up from 40 grand. You had 300,000. If you walked, you made 200 and some odd thousand. Why didn't you walk? And I'm like, I don't know. It wasn't about the winnings wasn't about winning. It was about the rush. It was about the experience. It was about the story afterwards. And to me, the story afterwards was not as good when you won. It was much better when you lost. It was much better when you got crushed. It was much better to talk about when you got destroyed, when you got obliterated, when you got pummeled. And that's pretty much what I did. Self-sabotage, self-destruction, degenerate, compulsive gambler, which I am. So when I went to the Taj Mahal, Plaza Castle, I was betting pennies, 
Taj Mahal, I started losing 10 to 70,000 in a sitting. This specific night, I got absolutely fucking destroyed. Lose my first 70,000. Then I re-go in for another 70,000. And at this point, Donald Trump comes over to the pit and he's watching me lose money so quickly that he literally said to me, whoa, Stu, slow down. There's no rush here. And he knew me from the Trump Plaza and he knew me from the Trump Castle and he said, Stu, gambling is 24 hours now. There's no rush. You don't have to rush. It's 724, Stu. Relax. And this is like the end of 1993. And he always used to try to slow me down because he knew he would eventually get me anyway, but he wanted me at least to have a good time and I was so good for business. If I'm playing dice, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, you know my antics. On a dice table, it's better than fucking you having sex because you would just laugh and the energy and you would just love watching me in action. You would just love it because no one loves life more than Stu Finer. No one loves a good time more than Stu Finer. No one can have a better time than Stu Finer and no one can bring the crowd with them feeling that they are part of the action like Stu Finer. So let's say if I'm on a good roll and I make 10 or 20,000, I'm handing out 200 to 500, everybody at the table. Strangers are getting chips from me. Straight, now they don't let you do that no more. They do not let you do that. You cannot give chips to everybody at the table. They absolutely frown on it and they stop it because there are people that are hanger on is that a scum that knew how fun I was and how stupid I was and how irresponsible I was and how incompetent I was. So they hung next to me that if I got on a good roll, I'm giving away money. And of course, when I went broke, I gave away 40 grand and I'm broke and I got to go home and I'm holding my dick and I gave away all my profits because I wanted people to love me. I wanted to be a people pleaser. I wanted to be the big shot, the biggest big shot. And I always was a sucker. I was a fool. That's what I was. I was a sucker. Underline sucker. The biggest fucking sucker you ever saw in your life. And that was me gambling. So on this specific night, Trump, Taj Mahal, I finished losing like 150000 And Donald loves me because he just loves my game. And he felt bad for me, but he loved me. Introduces me to Marla. Top five moments of my life. Top five. I have to put it up right when my children are born. What's your greatest moments? First time you got laid, children are born, getting married, and meeting Marla Maples. And when Marla Maples said, hello, Stu, and she batted her eyes because she was a flirtatious woman, she couldn't help it. She smelt like sex. She smelt so good. Her hair smelt good. Her clothes smelt good. Her hands smelt good. Because I kissed her hands. Every time she said hello to me, Donald would shake your hand and he'd still have a very firm handshake and he still used to pull you in like he does now. So that's nothing new for Don. Don knew how to work the crowd. He knew how to work a player and he knew how to work me. He shook my hand, he pulled me in and he'd always whisper something to me like, calm the fuck down. Nobody's pushing you out of here. Relax, slow down. Because I even made him uncomfortable. 
And thank you, God, I didn't have access to all my money because I would have lost everything I owned in a sitting. It's not even a question because I never had the brakes. There were no brakes on me. There's no stopping. I know how to go 180 miles an hour, and when I'm in trouble, I try to go 200. And when I slow down and I'm out of gas, I try to put the car on top of me and run with the fucking car 250 miles an hour. That's me. So he would always grab me, hug me, but always whisper to me, slow the fuck down. Because I was good for his business too, because everybody wanted to watch me gamble, then they participated, and then everybody ended up getting obliterated. So I was good for the house. My God, I was good to bring him in. I was good to have a fun time. I was good for screaming, yelling. Everybody remembered, God, this lunatic at the table. You can't believe it. We got involved. He got on a good roll. And a lot of people made a lot of money off of me because a lot of people pulled their money out, pulled their money off the table, especially on the dice table, where I never did. I was press, 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 press. And those days, there were unlimited odds behind the pass line. So if you don't know how to play dice, it's a very simple game. You take the dice in your hand and you start from scratch. You throw the dice. 7-11, you win. 2-3-12, you lose. There's two dice. 7-11, you win. 2-3-12, or 12, you lose. Now, if you don't roll a 7 or 11, or if you don't roll a 2-3 or 12, which means you rolled a 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10. 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10. You establish your number. 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10. So now, here's the game. You have to roll your number before you roll a 7. You have to roll your number, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, whatever it is, before you roll a 7. If you roll a 7, you lose. If you hit your number, you win. And then I'm not going to describe how to play craps soup to nuts right now, but you're also allowed to bet all sorts of combinations along the way. So, 7-11, you win right out of the box. 2-3-12, you lose. If you don't roll a 7 or 11, you don't roll a 2-3 or 12, means you rolled a 4-5-6-8-9-10. Then you establish whatever that number is, whether it's a 4, a 5, a 6, an 8, a 9, a 10. And then obviously... It's harder to roll a 10 and a 4. Those are the two hardest. Then the second hardest would be the 5 and the 9. And then the easiest would be the 6 and the 8. And it's mathematics and it's how many combinations of two dice you could roll. It's very simple. So 7-11, you win. Right out of the box, 2-3-12, you lose. If you establish your number, then you got to roll 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10 before you roll a 7. And that pretty much is the game. And you were unlimited amount of money that you could flow then. And God, did I lose money quick. God, did I lose money fast. Because when you're on a roll, you're just screaming, you're yelling. And I never was stoned when I was doing it. And I really wasn't much of a drinker either. Thank God. I was an eater. I drank a lot of champagne in my day. But it really, champagne never got you wasted. Never got you that drunk. At least never got me drunk. Because I always backed it up with a ton of food. I'm a big carb guy, big sugar guy, big quantity eater. I get to the table and there's bread. I'm eating that bread basket myself before you, the waiter even comes back for my second drink. of Normally, a diet soda, club soda. That's what I drink. 
Diet Coke, club soda. If I'm not ordering champagne. Now, can I drink my share of vodka in my day? Yes. Can I hold my own? Yes. But anything really besides vodka for me is poison. It tastes horrible. It tastes fucking ugh, like I'm in a concentration camp and they're poisoning me. So pretty much I'm drinking Diet Coke and club soda. So on this specific night, I'm getting fucking destroyed, getting killed. Lose my first 60, which goes into my first 70, which goes into 150. And Dawn sees me, and I'm getting fucking hammered. And I'm in the Scheherazade room now with about eight of my friends, and I leave them there to take one last shot back on the table. And I walk out, and Dawn's like, oh, don't you have people eating in the Scheherazade room? And I'm like, fuck him, let him just eat. I want to take a shot. And he says to me, Stu, it's not a good move. You're going to lose more. It's just not your night. Wait until the morning. Have a great meal on me. It's free. Kill me for some food. Spend 20 grand in the fucking place. Bang me out with champagne. Have cigars. Treat everybody like gold. Be a big shot like you like because he knew I liked it. It's on me. Don't worry. Everything's free. The rooms are free. If you people don't have rooms, get them bigger rooms. Upgrade them. Don't worry. It's on me. I said, Don, I want one last shot. So before I lose my money, he, I'm on the floor and he introduces me to Marla, like I said. And Marla twinkles her eyes and God, I'm like in a daze. I don't even know where I am. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I lose like 30 grand while Donald and Marla are with me watching me. Now they're not specifically only watching me. But they're watching me and Don's surveying the floor to see if there's any other high rollers or big shots that come into town. And he wants to introduce his new wife. He wants to introduce Marla. He wants to show off Marla because she was a motherfucking showpiece. She was a showpiece. She was the fucking cat's meow, like I said. You know, to make, to, to put it in perspective, she makes Melania look like dog shit to me. She makes Melania look ugly and fucking Melania is a fucking 12. But not to me. Marla was it. So I'm getting destroyed. I got my friends in the Scheherazade room. He says, Stu, do me a favor. Slow yourself down. Talk to Marla. I got to have a meeting. I'll be right back. So I'm thinking now, oh my God, it's me and Marla Maples. And I'm dreaming, do I have a shot to fuck Marla Maples? This will be my only shot in my life to try to fuck Marla Maples. Now, to show you, and I've professed this before, that all men are scum. At this moment, I become scum. At this moment, I'm scum. Obviously, I'm married. Obviously, I got two kids. Obviously, it's fucking Donald Trump's wife. And I'm on the floor where everybody's pretty much watching me only because I'm next to Marla and everybody's watching Marla. And I'm dreaming about fucking Marla Maples. And at the beginning, we just start talking. I make a laugh and I'm very funny and she loves my game and she loves what I'm doing. She's not going to love me in about 10 minutes, but she loves me right now. And then I, you know, the normal stuff, you know, you smell great, Marla. And then I kiss her hand, you know. And I say, wow, your hands are so soft. What kind of lotion you use? 
Why do you smell so good? Wow, your makeup looks amazing. What makeup you use? Wow, your hair smell. Can I smell your hair? Can I smell your hair? And she was extremely uncomfortable with me. She knew I was like, like a pervert. And there's no other way to put it. I am acting about as perverted and as low and as scum and as gutter as you could be. I'm in the gutter. I can't really get any lower in the gutter. I'm in the fucking gutter. I'm in the gutter right now. I'm in stew-finder gutter mode. I don't know anything. I'm thinking with my cock. I'm thinking, how do I get my dick in Marla Maple's mouth, ass, pussy? How do I make this move? So I'm making her laugh, and I'm starting to touch her. Like, anytime you flirt with someone, you start touching them. You know, and I start touching her arms. I start touching her shoulders. I start rubbing my hand down one arm quickly, the other arm. Then I poke her in her stomach, making her laugh. But she's getting uncomfortable because she absolutely can read that I'm a psycho and I'm a fucking pervert and it's absolutely gross and it's absolutely disgusting. But I'm a good customer. She's just waiting for Donald to save her right now, to get her the fuck out of my claws, out of my grasp. So I start getting closer to her. I stop gambling at this point down well over $200,000. Forgetting about my friends that are in the room that have been waiting for me. Forget that. Forget that story. I'm in my fucking dream world of thinking, how do I get Donald Trump's wife? How do I get Marla Maples? How do I get my fucking woman, Marla? How do I get her to come with me? So I can fuck her, so I can lick her clit, so I can eat her ass, so I can make a fucking move on her. Because I'm a great fuck. I used to be a horrific fuck from, let's say, 16 to 21. But once I figured it out, and once I got eating ass, licking clit, learning how to come two, three times, talking to the women in bed, telling them, hey, you're amazing. I never felt like this before. There's something special about you. You're unbelievable. I've never done this. This is incredible. You make me feel like no one's ever felt. And I go on and on and on and on. And then if they engage with me, then we start, you know, I'll even go psycho, bark like a dog. Please bark like a dog. Tell me I'm God. Tell tell me Stufine is God. Say roof, Stufine, roof, Stufine, roof, Stufine, you know. And I'm psycho, but it works. It works in that moment with that right person so I know if I can get her in bed I got a good chance of rolling with this fucking woman and when I roll into the casino I got a chance if she's there I'm gonna be fucking her so obviously I'm in dreamland I'm delusional the chances of me even getting close to Marla really her lips I would be arrested security would grab me I have no shot none zero zip that's reality but in my head I'm like I got a fucking game here so I got I pushing I'm pushing I'm pushing so finally I go directly for it I literally get right in her fucking crotch where I'm pressing against her like grinding And she immediately pulls away and she immediately gives me a look like, are you fucking kidding? Like, like disgust on her face. She was no longer laughing, no longer smiling. She gave me a look like, like if she was a guy, she would have knocked me the fuck out. And I say, I'm sorry. And she said, that's okay. But it was not okay. It was just her reaction saying that's okay. Because I'm sure a lot of men have done what I've done. I'm probably the thousandth that did what I tried to do. Okay? 
So then I know I'm in trouble. So I immediately, and I'm, the clock's ticking and I'm super nervous. I'm like, well, Donald's going to come back here. So I make a move. I immediately make a move. I go, so uh, how are things with you and Donald in bed? I literally asked that question. How are things with you and Donald in bed? And she looks at me like, are you fucking serious? Are you serious? And she says to me, and I'll never forget it, Stu, I have to go. Take care of yourself. You really need help. She says to me, Stu, I have to go. Take care of yourself. You need help. You need help? Of course I need help. I'm about to rape the woman in broad daylight, my idol's wife, in front of 200 fucking people with eight people in the Sherazade room with a wife and two kids at home. I'm acting like a fucking scumbag, a lowlife, a prick. And a lot of times that's what men do. I'm not the only man to do it. Men have done it. It's a humiliating thing to admit, but I'm fucking doing it. And she fucking leaves. And she fucking leaves. So now I'm sitting here, down well over 200,000. And I go to the bathroom. Pull down my pants. Go to the bathroom. And I fucking pee all over myself. Because, listen to this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys before. Because I was so excited grinding next to her almost like dry humping the fucking woman in broad daylight, being like a fucking pervert, being disgusting, being as low as you could fucking go. I'm talking scum. I'm talking in the fucking gutter. You can't get any lower! If gods actually were watching what I was doing, really? I would have been arrested. It would have been molesting. It would be like touching a woman because that's what I was doing. I was doing it. I admit it, the lowest point of my life, not the lowest, but as low as I can get, I peel over myself because, because cum came to the tip of my dick. I came, not fully, but I ejaculated. I prematurely ejaculated. And since we kept talking and I'm trying to basically dry rape the girl standing up, the pee and the cum at the tip of my penis like solidified. So when I peed, there was like almost like a barrier. So the pee couldn't get out. It hit the cum. It pushed the cum a little bit. And then the cum spit, the, the fucking piss spit back on me. So now I'm in a $3,000 suit. I have on a $500 shirt. I have on a $300 tie. I pee all over myself and I'm in a tan pair of pants and a tan suit with a fucking cream shirt and a fucking red and like flowery tile. Never forget it. And this pee all over myself now, all over my pants. Like it's fucking embarrassing. Now I could say that I had an accident, wash myself and the water spit out. But there was so much piss because I was so surprised that happened that I didn't pull away and stop myself immediately. I'm staring at myself, pissing on myself.
So then I tried to get close to the urinal and there was ice in the urinal. And then the piss started spitting back at me. So it's now almost in my face. My piss is in my face. I'm swallowing my piss. It's hitting the ice in the urinal. It's hitting the cum on the tip of my penis because I'm a pervert, because I'm a psycho, because I should be put in jail. There's something wrong with me and I'm full of fucking piss. And I smell like piss. Like, you know when someone pisses in their pants, you go... You're pissing your pants because that is a smell that you never forget. You never forget when you you can absolutely tell if someone pissed in their pants or shit in their pants from a mile away. You smell it. You know it immediately. You know it immediately. You pissed in your pants. You shit in your pants. It's apparent. So now what am I gonna fucking do? So now I take my jacket off like a psycho. I pull my pants up. I put the jacket in front of me and I walk like a little bitch, like a little cunt like a little fucking degenerate scum low life that i am a psycho psychosexual deviant i'm a sexual deviant that's what i am i'm sexually deviated i'm a deviant that's what i am and when i pray in the morning and i pray at night like i did on the first video i say please god give me the strength to be absent from my compulsive overeating that's my core my gambling, compulsive gambler, my drug addiction, I smoke an ounce of pot a day, my sexual behavior. Because if I'm not in touch with God, I'm a sexual deviant. I'll fuck your mother in front of you. I'll fuck your daughter in front of you. I'll fuck your girlfriend in front of you. I'll do it. I can't control it. It's a disease. It's a fucking disease. It's a motherfucking disease. And I have that disease. And I haven't acted on that in decades and decades. Thank you, Lord Jesus, Moses, Allah. Thank you, God. But at this moment, I'm out of control. So I got piss all over me. I'm hiding it with a jacket. I roll into one of his stores. I pay $500 for a pair of fucking pants. I buy underwear. I buy a new pair of shoes. I buy a new pair of socks. I buy a shirt. My tie, I flip back because no pee was on my tie because it was my lucky tie. Meanwhile, I lost $210,000. How lucky can my tie be? How fucking stupid am I? I'm a fucking loser. I'm a degenerate. I'm scum. I'm a disgrace to men. I'm a disgrace to Donald. I'm a disgrace with no dignity, no integrity at all. I should be shot in the fucking street. I'm a disgrace. I am a fucking loser. So I flip my lucky tie back, which I just lost 210000 How lucky can I be? Go into the fucking room, strip everything off, leave everything there. Leave everything there. Leave like a fucking, let's say my pants were 1200 socks were 200 shoes were 500 shirt was 600 I fucking leave it. Smelling like piss. Smelling like a dog just pissed on my fucking pants. And I was the dog. I was a dog in heat. I pissed on the pants. I pissed on myself. I pissed on my life. And that's what I fucking did. And to that moment, Donald Trump never spoke to me ever again. I never saw Marla Maples again. I was one of the reasons probably she never showed up at the Taj Mahal again. And that's my fucking story. And that's why I'm Stu Fighter. Yeah! Fucking not!
let's talk about this farce. This circus. This embarrassment. That they're calling a fight. It's the greatest live gate ever. It's the most money two individuals have ever and probably will ever get to fight each other. You're talking about an undefeated, pound for pound, arguably greatest fighter that has ever walked this earth. Floyd Mayweather. Money Mayweather. The best ever. Now, defensively, he's second to none. There has never been a better defensive fighter than Floyd Mayweather. He could stand right in front of you and you're not hitting him. He could lower his gloves and you're not hitting him. He could tell you what punch he's throwing. He could tell you what combination he's throwing and you're not going to be able to stop it. You could do nothing because there's only one best in the world and he's the best defensive fighter in the world. The best. There is no argument. Some people say he's the best fighter ever. I don't know if that's true. I really don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you right now. He's the best defensive fighter that ever lived bar none. He has never lost a fight ever, 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 ever. Now, are there some decisions that could have gone against him? Absolutely. Because he ran a lot of the fight. Meaning... He just did not want to get hit. So a lot of people, when you want to see a champion, you want to see a fucking guy that's willing to take five punches and then give five punches. Take 10 punches, give 10 punches. Get into the corner and fucking brawl like it's a street fight. Elbows flying, head butting, blood coming on both faces like Rocky. A lot of people like that. You're not getting that with Floyd Mayweather. Floyd, just jab, 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 moves to the side, moves on an angle. It's just absolutely incredible. He is phenomenal. There is nobody that could do what he does. There's nobody that could shift their feet subtly that you think you're going to hit him and you slightly miss. That you think you have him laid out. You think you have him measured up. You've Jab, jab, body, left, right, body. The hook should be right there, and it just misses by a cunt hair. Every punch you throw either hits his gloves, hits his elbows, he's protected, and he slightly moves away from you. That's Floyd Mayweather. He has never made a mistake in his fucking life that he couldn't correct at the drop of a dime, and he never made the same mistake again. Do you realize he's never lost a fight? Never! Ever, ever, ever. It's Floyd fucking Mayweather. Now, a lot of people say the guy can't read. A lot of people say the guy can't talk. A lot of people say he's scum. He beat his wife. He was in jail for beating his wife. That's not supposition. That's fact. That's fact. We saw it. We saw him in his jail cell. We saw him lose Wait, we saw him going on a fast to try to get out of jail, to try to manipulate. We saw what he is and what he did. But as far as in the ring, 
There's nobody been better. Never. There's no one ever better. He's never lost a fight. And did he wait out Manny Pacquiao until Pacquiao did not have it or was not sharp enough? Possibly. Was Manny Pacquiao hurt when he fought Floyd Mayweather? Possibly. Should Floyd have fought him earlier? Well, from a fan standpoint, fuck yes. Because we wanted to see Floyd get bloodied, Floyd get banged around, and could Floyd win that type of fight? Because that's how Manny Pacquiao fights. He'll take seven, eight punches to the face. He'll take the body. He'll put you in the corner and just swing all fucking day and night. That's not Floyd Mayweather. You're not getting that with Floyd Mayweather. This is Floyd fucking Mayweather. He's like a ghost. You think you can hit him and he's gone. You think he's right there and he's not. You've done everything fucking right tactically. And when you throw your left, he slightly moves and he ain't there. When you throw your right, you think he's there and he's not. When you throw combinations, they're hitting his gloves and then he runs. And he does not show you his back ever. So when he runs, he's just moving away to systematically put himself in the best possible position. A to not get hit, B to not get hurt, C to win the fucking fight, D to score the most points. Now you might not like him because you might say A's a pussy, B is last seven, eight fights, he's ran. It's not running. He's smart. Why the fuck would you want to get hit in the face? Why the fuck would you want to have brain damage? Why would you like your cheap bones broken? Why would you like your nose broken? Why would you like your eye sockets broken? Why would you like to get hit in the stomach to get your fucking stomach ruptured, to get muscles ruptured, to get beaten, to get bloody to a pulp so that when you are in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you can't talk, you're drooling, you don't know where you are, you don't know who you are, like a football player that's had concussions, that had concussion syndrome. Like Junior Seau, so many concussions, he put a bullet in his fucking head. Like so many football players put a bullet in their fucking head. They want Floyd Mayweather to be like that. They want Floyd Mayweather to be like a, a boxing champion, old-time champion. You take your fucking beating, you can't talk in your 50s and 60s, and you die. But you remember that in his prime, he was a warrior. He came forward. He took a beating and gave beatings back. Not Floyd Mayweather, the smartest boxer ever, the greatest tactician ever, the greatest mindset ever, the best defensive fighter ever. So now you have this jerk off, Conor McGregor. Now, Conor McGregor six years ago, who was who? Conor who? Conor fucking who? Octagon where? He wasn't Hoist Gracie. He wasn't Anderson Silva. He wasn't the best ever. He was a nobody who was a fucking talker. And he worked like a fucking animal. And he was workmanlike. And he was the greatest showman that the Octagon has ever put out. And he was Dana White's meal ticket. Right after Ronda Rousey went in the toilet and she got her ass kicked from just much better fighters than her. And she just got her ass kicked. So when Ronda Rousey failed, Conor McGregor took the torch and ran with the octagon. 
and ran fucking hard because he had the game to speak of. He had the respect of the Irish. He had the respect of everybody that was white. He had the respect of anybody that was nobody. And he was their voice. He was ballsy. He was arrogant. He spoke well. He articulated. He was the Muhammad Ali of this era because he played mind games, Conor McGregor. His talk was so good that he won the fight before you fought. He won the fight before you got in the ring. He won the fight because he shamed you, he humiliated you, he pummeled you. There was nothing off bounds for him. There was nothing out of bounds. He said anything and everything. And if he got to you, whether it's to rip your family, rip your legacy, rip your children, rip your wife, rip your game, rip your skill set, Conor McGregor was the best ever. And he is the best ever to this day. He's better than Ali. Better than Ali. I've never heard a better talker in my life. Maybe some of the WWE or WWF people can talk a little better. Maybe Shawn Michaels in his prime. Maybe some of the great ones in their prime, but they never got just down and dirty like Conor McGregor because wrestling's fake. Octagon is warrior style. That's psycho style. So make no mistake about it. I respect Conor McGregor. He must have the biggest dick known to man. He even came up in weight where he shouldn't have came up in weight and got his fucking ass kicked in and then redeemed himself by kicking the fucking man that kicked his fucking ass. And that was phenomenal. And I, you saw him knock out his biggest challenger, Aldo, with one punch. It was the most ridiculous thing you ever saw in your fucking life. It was the quickest knockout you ever saw in your life. If you blinked, you missed the punch. If you blinked, this was a guy that didn't lose for a decade. They just got knocked out with a fucking punch. In the first fucking punch of the fight. One of the greatest fighters ever. One of the most respected fighters ever. Conor McGregor made him look like a joke. Like a bum. Like a cheap suit. Like a wannabe like a used car. So Conor McGregor is amazing. Conor McGregor is epic. Conor McGregor is the greatest hype machine you will ever see in your fucking life. Conor McGregor really deserves the respect of the world. And let's put it even further. That motherfucker is as tough as fucking nails. He's as tough as steel. He's as tough as titanium. Because you've watched McGregor take a fucking beating. Be fucking bloodied. His whole face bloody. His eyes bloody. And not only is he bloody and can't talk, he does an interview after the fight and praises the guy that kicked his fucking ass. He's never made any excuses. So Conor McGregor is a true champion, a true legend, a god among men in the octagon. In the octagon. Can we talk again about this? In the octagon! But now, you're taking him out of the octagon. Not only are you taking him out of the octagon, but you're putting him in the rink with the greatest ever, the greatest defensive fighter ever. So for Conor McGregor's only shot in the world would be to get lucky and knock 
Mayweather out because he's never outpointing him. He's never going to go to distance and beat him. He can never do that. Never, ever, 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 ever. He is one shot and one shot only to catch Floyd and to knock him out. To make the fight into a brawl, to headbutt, to elbow, to hit him in the balls, to be dirty, to do everything possible to almost get disqualified, and somehow Floyd loses his cool and kind of catches him and knocks him out. It's his only shot. But I will profess right now, that will never happen! That can never happen! It is not fucking happening! Wake the fuck up! The same odds that Conor McGregor has at beating Floyd Mayweather, and the line is now down to like 450? You're laying only 4.5 to 1 betting Floyd? I mean, you could bet all J. Paul Gettys, Howard Hughes, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett's money. Are you fucking kidding me? That is the lowest line ever on the biggest lock ever. This is a lock. This is 100%. A hundred percent. Stu, how could you say a hundred percent? Well, of course, nothing's a hundred percent. Could Floyd slip in the ring? Could Kana somehow catch him and knock him out? I would say a million to one. Yes, that could happen. Could it be fixed? Because now you're talking about a guy in the octagon fighting the greatest fighter ever, even though he hasn't fought in a couple of years, even though he is retired, even though he's later on in his life. I give you all that. Could it be fixed? Well, how can it be fixed, Stu? Well, you just saw Jones again test positive for steroids. So every fight that Jones ever had, and they make Jones the best ever, right? The best ever? He just fucking beat the fuck out of Daniel Cormier. The best ever? The motherfucker's a cheater. This is the second time he's cheated. He's a fucking scumbag. He's a cheater. Okay, he's a cheater. So, could Conor McGregor, these are the only ways it could win. Could it be fixed? Fixed a couple of ways. It could be predetermined where Floyd Mayweather goes, let's go, let's go 12 rounds. I beat the fuck out of you for 12 rounds. And then in the 12th round, while I showboat, I slip and you catch me with a fucking punch and I go down and you knock me out. Why would that happen? Because the rematch... Then Conor McGregor would get 200 million. Floyd Mayweather would get another 200 million. We're not talking 20 million. We're not talking 2 million. We're talking a quarter of a billion dollars. A quarter of a billion dollars. A quarter of a billion dollars. So when you're talking half a billion being split up, because the world would go upside down if Conor McGregor won. The, the The Twitter world would blow up. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TV, radio, newspapers. Are you fucking kidding me? If Conor McGregor won, it would be the biggest upset since Donald Trump pissing on Hillary Clinton. But really bigger. Really bigger because you really saw when Trump pissed on Clinton, and I was a Hillary Clinton woman all the way. Not because I thought she was an amazing president. I just thought it was time for a woman to become a president. Women have been treated like slaves, second-class citizens their entire life, and in Half of the country, they're still treated like slaves. It's disgusting. So I was hoping that Hillary won, okay? Only because of that, to raise the women to an epic level. But it didn't happen. And we, it, because it didn't happen, because the world hated Hillary to such a disgusting level. She made certain mistakes that no one would ever forgive her for. Okay, rightfully so. And you did not 
believe how much people hated Hillary Clinton. So it wasn't that Donald Trump was such a great president and ran a great campaign and was so smart and had this grassroots. That's bullshit. Throw that the fuck out. Anybody else would have killed fucking Donald Trump. Anybody. Joe Biden would have killed him. Anybody. Bloomberg would have killed him. If Christie was a Democrat, ran against Trump, he would have killed him. They would have killed, they would have killed him. Nobody could have fucking, the only person alive that Donald Trump could beat is Hillary Clinton because you did not realize how much the public hated Bill Clinton, hated the establishment, hated Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton made some catastrophic mistakes. So fine, she got smashed, she got crushed, she got buried, her legacy's dead forever. But that was a big upset. But for Conor McGregor to beat Floyd Mayweather would be even a bigger upset, would be even bigger. So could it be fixed? A couple of ways. Number one, could it be predetermined? Of course it could, because that's the only way Conor McGregor could win. How about the second way? Could Conor McGregor be on steroids? Could he be on a cycle that makes him quicker, stronger, faster, with a tremendous amount of endurance, allows him to take much more punishment, allows him to just beat the fuck out of Floyd or come at an insane level because he's on steroids, because he's cheating? Absolutely. We just saw Jones do it against Cormier. We just saw it. We just saw it. It just happened in the octagon. So don't tell me it can't happen when he's fighting Floyd Mayweather because what the fuck? Even if he's tested positive a month from now or two weeks from now after they do the drug test, who gives a fuck? Conor McGregor would say, I ate something wrong. It was in my training. It was in my vitamins. It was in my Wheaties. Who gives a fuck? Conor McGregor would have three weeks of pissing on Floyd Mayweather and being God and uplifting his legacy to a level never been done. Never, ever, ever been done. If Conor McGregor beats Floyd Mayweather for whatever reason, being fixed with steroids or fixed because it's predetermined, Conor McGregor will have a run until, let's say, he tests positive. Just let's let's make supposition here. Let's fucking play it out in, in, pa- in panorama dreamland here. Stu find a dreamland. Stu find a supposition. Stu find a situation that he could win if he's on steroids. There's no two ways about that. But barring steroids, barring it predetermined and fixed, There's just no fucking way. None. Zero zip. That would be like if Hoist Gracie trained Floyd Mayweather to fight Conor McGregor in the octagon. And Floyd Mayweather knew all the kick moves and knew all the submission moves. And let's say Hoist Gracie's the best ever and his family is the best ever. And they taught him and he trained and he knew it. He's never beating Conor McGregor. He's never beating Conor McGregor in the octagon. So it's the same exact situation as Conor McGregor beating Floyd. Never, ever, ever, if you look at Conor McGregor technically, just let's go technically here. If you watch the way that Conor McGregor throws punches, his power punches, he throws them like he's fighting a street fight in the octagon. And that works because not only can he lower his hands and throw punches, almost roundhouses, to get strength because... You have to be careful because he could kick you in the fucking face. He could kick you in your fucking face. He could kick you and break your leg. He could break your jaw. He could break your arm. He could tackle you. So he can get away throwing punches in a way that in the ring, Floyd's going to kill him. Floyd's going to be... Khan is going to think he's one place and Floyd's just going to subtly move and he's not there. 
He's never going to be able to square Floyd up ever, ever, ever. And if you see his power positions, because I've studied Conor a lot, if you see his power positions, when he crouches down almost, which he's probably going to do because he's not a boxer. You can't teach someone who has never boxed in his life traditional boxing. A boxer against the best ever, against the best fighter ever, the best defensive fighter ever. You can't tell me no matter how much training, no matter how much desire, no matter how much energy, how much spirit, he can't compete. This is a farce. This is a joke. This is a money grab for almost a half a billion dollars. It's a three-ring circus. So this is not going to be a good fight. This is going to be a fucking joke. And I would say for shits and giggles, I think like a fourth round knockout, you get 16 to one back. So if you put 100 on Floyd Mayweather, knock him out in the fourth round, you win 1,600 back. If you bet $50 on Floyd Mayweather, knock him out in the fourth round, you get 800 back. If you put $25 on Floyd Mayweather, knock him out in the fourth round, you get uh, 400 back. It's worth it. Because I can't see how it's going to go more than four rounds. And if you want to add to it that Conor McGregor has used some extremely racial slurs, calling Floyd boy, are you fucking kidding me? Are you serious? You're saying that to Floyd Mayweather? Floyd Mayweather! He's not a bum! He's not 11 and 4! He's never lost! He's fought everybody and never lost! He's been a world champion for his whole fucking life! He's fought everybody! He's got belt after belt after belt! He's never lost. He's considered the greatest defensive fighter ever, and you've shown him no respect. None. Zero. Zip. Nada. Matter of fact, you've demeaned him, and you call him boy. You almost spoke to him like he works for you, like he's your boy, like he's your slave. Are you fucking kidding me, Conor McGregor? Now, that's Conor's game. That's what he does. He's a showman, he's ruthless, he's cutting, and that's his game. So let's say this is all a game, and he has to say that. But I'll tell you right now, Floyd Mayweather, if it's straight up, and it's not fixed, and he's not on steroids, Connor, Floyd Mayweather is going to fucking kill him. He's going to kill him. If Floyd Mayweather could knock him out and kill him, he would kill him. Kill him meaning put him in the grave, put him in a coffin. That's what he would do. There is no prayer of Conor McGregor getting lucky here. There is no prayer of Conor McGregor looking good in this fight. There is only what's going to happen is McGregor will look like he's out of his element. He's outclassed. He should never have taken this fight, even for the $100 million, and he's dead. He's done. He's going to get knocked out. I just don't know what round. I'm saying the fourth because what the fuck? You can't believe how fast Floyd Mayweather is. You just cannot believe the speed he's going to throw his punches. You cannot believe how Conor McGregor's face is going to be pummeled by his left, by his right. You can't believe how Floyd's going to go to his body, go to his head, go to his body, go to his head, go to his body, go to his head. And then when Conor McGregor tries to wind up to knock him out, he's going to open himself up further and Floyd's not going to be there. He's going to step, he's going to step away and Floyd's going to just hammer him all day. Hammer him! Hammer him!
Fucking hammer him. And then let's say, well, Stu, you're not really taking into consideration that let's say he turns it into a Donnybrook. Let's say he turns it into a brawl. Let's say he takes Floyd and throws him into the corner and elbows him and beats him and headbutts him and low blows him and becomes dirty. Can I explain something to you? For Connor to do that, he's going to have to open himself up. And let me tell you something right now. You'll know it tomorrow night when you see it. You will not believe how many times he's going to get hit in the face. He's going to get hit in the body. His face is going to be a bloody pulp. He's not going to be able to see. Both eyes are going to be closed. They're going to have to cut his eyes open with a fucking razor. He's going to be dead. His face will never look the same again. He will have to have plastic surgery. If Floyd wants to really severely abuse the guy, he's going to carry him the whole fight and just destroy him. Like Sugar Ray Leonard embarrassed Roberto Duran in Nomas. That literally might happen. Conor McGregor might not be able to ever touch him, ever hit him, and might quit. He might quit right in the ring. Because he'll go, fuck it, Floyd's running, I'm out of here. You douchebag, that's what he's supposed to do. That's what he's done his whole career. But he doesn't run because he doesn't show you his back. He backs up, he angles, and he murders people. He's a killer. He's an assassin in the ring. You're an assassin in the octagon. You're a nothing in the ring. You're a nobody in the ring. There are 15 to 20 people in his weight class that could knock you the fuck out in a boxing match. Any great boxer can beat Conor McGregor. Anybody. Anybody's not a boxer. Just inherently, the things that Conor does to get his punches off, to get power off, is almost the direct opposite of what you have to do to be a boxer. What you have to do to protect yourself. What you have to do to box. He opens himself up. He's going to get hammered. He's going to get bloodied. He's going to get killed. So again, for shits and giggles, we're going to bet Conor McGregor to get, to not get knocked out in the fourth round at 16 to 1. Not for a lot of money. Not for a lot of money. Just for shits and giggles. And then if you really want to bet real money, you got to lay 450. So that means for the people that have a ton of money, you lay 45,000 to win 10,000. You lay 4,500 to win 1,000. You lay 450 to win 100. And you lay $45 to win 10. That's an excellent bet. That's a tremendous bet. That is, that's like, that is like the New England Patriots playing the New York Jets in a Super Bowl and all they got to do is win by one. All they got to do is win by one. So if the Jets played the Patriots right now in the Super Bowl and all the Patriots have to do is win by one, how much money would you bet? How much money would you bet? Would you bet everything you own? Would you bet everything you could get your hands on? Now, on the fluke, could Tom Brady get knocked out of the game? Could the Patriots choke? Could they turn over the ball 40 times? No! Never! Never, ever, 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 ever! 
and that's the same as Floyd Mayweather. He will never lose to Conor McGregor. He's going to humiliate him. He's going to embarrass him. And that's the bottom fucking line. And that's what's going to happen. And you heard it here from Stu Finer. That's my podcast. That's my word. Watch me on Snapchat. I'm the best there is. I'm funny as fuck. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. Get over to StuFinder.com. Buy my merchandise on BeLikeStu.com. B-E-L-I-K-E-S-T-U.com. Because I'm Stu Finder. I'm one of a kind. I'm a living legend. And you're fucking not.